So, good evening everyone. Continuing with Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha, 71st Anucheta. Vaikuntha is not known to ritualistic performers as the evidence here, as we discussed the end of last class. We have a verse from the Bhagavatam spoken by Narada Muni to King Porchini Barhi. And as we mentioned, King Porchini Barhi was very much <coughs> attached to the ritualistic aspect of the Vedas, uh, which is basically one of um, sacrifice and reward. And such people become so absorbed in the ritualistic aspect, the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, that they can't see beyond that. They see the Vedas and they see the Vedas as basically an instruction manual for higher living. So you do this, you get a higher life. You follow the Varnashram in this way, you upgrade yourself all the way up to the top stage of Paramahansa Sannyas, which allows you entrance into the, the highest planetary systems. And for someone like Prachitabarhi, the, the, the attainment of a heavenly life is, is very much sought after. So good children, good wife, good wealth, good job, nice place to live, and heaven, after it's all over, sounds like a good deal. So let me perform a sacrifice, let me give in charity, let me perform all the, uh, all the directives given in the Vedas, and uh, I will be a happy man or a happy woman in life. And because they become so, and it's not, I mean, honestly speaking, we don't have personal cultural backing in a system of such high action and reward uh, to fall back on. Really, if we look at history, recent history, um, this this kind of these kind of activities that yielded these kind of results are we don't see them. You know, the last thousand, two thousand, three thousand years, it's just there's no there's no examples in human society of people taking advantage of sacrificial performances and advancing themselves. Basically, as Kali Yuga's progress, the only way to advance yourself is to destroy your enemy. The only way to advance yourself is to cheat, to steal, to pillage. We look at all the, the conquerors of the world in modern history, going back, you know, what, all the way, Anthony, you know, how far back the the whole thing is is divide and conquer and uh you know you look at the, the even the modern culture of movies all of, you look at look at 
look at all those historic presentations and what you have is one class of men dominating over another through warfare. And that's the way to get ahead in life. So this is quite, it, may, it seems quite foreign to us to get ahead in life by simply lighting a fire, employing some brahmanas, offering some sacrificial uh, oblations into the fire, uh, hearing the Vedas from those brahmanas, satisfying those brahmanas with sacrifice and by feeding them, by giving them in charity, and then all of a sudden, poof, there's a good son. Or poof, there's a, you know, there's a good wife. Or guaranteed of, of satisfying your ancestors and going to the heavenly atmosphere. So along comes Narada Muni and he sing, sees King Parchinabarhi and uh, he proceeds to tell him the facts of life. But he can't tell him the facts of life directly because it would be kind of insulting to his lifestyle. So he do, does it through uh, through relating uh, the story of, what is it, Paranjan? Mm -hmm. And, you know, says, look at Paranjan. He was engaged in sacrifice, and all that happened was his family members took advantage of him. And, you know, so he used this whole allegory of Paranjan, but he's actually, everything he's talking about is, everything in Prachinibarhi's lifestyle. So pretty soon the king picked up on what was being said. Oh, you're insulting me, but you don't want to insult me, but you want to tell me where my head's at. Okay. And he came away from it better. So one of the verses that Narda says that's used here as evidence is uh, those who in, whose intelligence is clouded with smoke, as we mentioned last time, being unaware of the real purpose of the Vedas, think it to be think it to be devoted only to ritual. In other words, they think the Vedas are only there for rituals. That's all they can see in the Vedas. It's ritualistic sacrifices. They uh, and you know you can see Narda is such a huge player in this whole thing that even even when Srila Vyasadeva went to write down the Vedas, he, he presented the, the Bhagavat Purana along with all the other Puranas and all the Vedas. <coughs> he put it on all down for human society. But even his presentation, it wasn't satisfying to his heart and it certainly wasn't satisfying to Narada because he saw the same thing that what the way you've presented the Vedas, you've only presented, you haven't brought out the essence enough that people will be able to, to, uh, to catch on to the, to the real secret of, the, of, of Vedic knowledge, which is to transcend material nature, not to take advantage of the law books of the Vedas, simply to further implicate ourselves in... in an enjoyment on the material plane, although it might be better enjoyment, maybe enjoyment performed in sacrifice. Still, whether you're in goodness, passion, or ignorance, 
whether you're in Brahma Loka or Patala Loka, as Krishna says, it's all miserable. From the highest planet to the low, all are places of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place. It's hard to get that when you're living for a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, you know, years in one body. What do you mean I'm not immortal? You know, for us it's kind of easier on the earthly plane, especially at this stage in Kali Yuga, to say, yeah, it's a pretty short life. But still, people don't don't take it seriously for the most part. So. They think that the only thing the Veda is intended for is simply it's a uh, instructional manager man, manual for better living. It's like better homes and gardens. It's like better lives and <laughs> better lives and uh, and uh, and benefits. Huh? Yeah, better better life through benefits. So they do not know the realm where Sri Janardhan dwells which is identical to his own essential nature. So, Jeeva is using this verse to say, which is identical to his, where he lives, where the Supreme Lord lives, Janardhan, is identical to his own, his very own nature. And, of course, the uh, the intelligent use of the word smoky by Narada uh, has some significance in regards to the Vedic sacrifices. And we can see that particularly uh, in the sages of Namasaranya. When they lit the fire, they just couldn't get it to blaze. And therefore, it, uh, they, were, they were just covered with, uh, with smoke. Uh, they couldn't get a good sacrifice going. The atmosphere was not conducive. Of course, not like now in California, it seems the atmosphere is perfectly conducive for a huge sacrifice. But it's uh, not really what uh, the residents are looking for. But Kali Yuga, uh, the sages, Namasharanya, let's perform a sacrifice. Let's, and they recognized it was it just was not working. And then Sutta Goswami was able to speak to them, and then he was able to relay the Bhagavatam. Then everything became successful. He relayed what he had heard from between uh, Sukadeva Goswami and Maharaj Parikshit. So there's Vedic statements and we need to be able to see statements in the proper perspective. Um, Where we left off last uh, discussion uh, in in this Anucheda uh, intelligence becomes smoky, uh, or in other words, impure, smoke produced from the fire sacrifice. Because we have Vedic statements like, we will drink Soma juice by performing sacrifice and become immortal. Or the piety of those who observe the vow of Chaturmasya is imperishable. This is very attractive. I mean, drink Soma juice and become immortal? I mean, who wouldn't go for that? Give me a cup. I mean, who would not take a cup? You will be immortal. Or perform a sacrifice for four months and you get you get the kingdom of heaven. 
if you can tie your hands behind your back and eat unsalted dal or or kitri, I guess, something like that, you know, like a dog, as much as you can eat in one go down for four months and don't sh- don't shave. So such statements be, must be understood as having secondary meanings because nothing is as imperishable in the material world. Being filled with desire and allured by the goal of heaven, the ignorant who are attached to the Vedic doctrine propound, propound the flowery words of the Vedas, claiming that the Vedas are concerned with nothing other than elaborate rituals that bestow um, good birth pleasurable fruits of action, and that lead to sense, enjoyment, and opulence. That's Krishna speaking to Arjuna in the second chapter. Uh, He says further in the ninth chapter, after extensively enjoying the heavenly realm, where their merit is exhausted, when their merit is exhausted, they enter the world of mortality. Thus, those who are committed to the religion of the three Vedas Seeking sense enjoyment alone, attain only such repeated comings and goings, or coming and going. So what's the good? From the Vaishnava viewpoint, from Krishna's viewpoint, he's like, why? So you go to heaven, it may be thousands of years, it may be very enjoyable, but still the lease is going to run out and you're going to have to leave. You're going to spend all your all your material piety, and uh, and here you go again. The real purpose of the Vedas is to know Krishna. Krishna says this in the Bhagavad Gita: "Sarvasya chaham hridi sani visto matas mritir janama pohanam cha vedas chasavaraham eva vejo vedanta vid vedakrid eva chaham." By all the Vedas, I'm to be known. That's why the Vedas are there, to know me. Um, I'm the source of the Vedas. So now and then we come to a very extensive Anucheta tonight. 72. Short description given to it is Dhruvaloka is also transcendental Vaikuntha. So as a Praman verse, as an evidence to this, um, Anucheda. Jiva Goswami starts by quoting a verse uh, from the demigods uh, made to the Supreme Lord when the universe was in complete turmoil. Uh, it was in complete turmoil after uh, they'd lost Brihaspati because of the insult of Indra. So then the demons were coming to, uh, they saw their weakness and they they started to take advantage, went in, kicked them out of their houses in heaven, took their posts in heaven and, you know, they were in distress. So in their distress, uh, uh, they were making some appeal to the Supreme The same point that the Lord resides in his own essential nature is made in the prose text wherein the gods pray to Sri Hari. This is from the sixth canto, ninth chapter. O Bhagavan, I bow down to you. 
you taste the bliss derived from your own self in your own abode, Atmaloke, which is discovered within the heart by the topmost wandering aesthetics, where consciousness is uncovered after the gates of darkness, Thomas, have been unlocked through practice of the Dharma of ultimate completion. Paramahansa Dharma, which is revealed and realized in the highest state of yogic trance in the self. So here the demigods are saying quite a bit that's applicable to understanding the transcendental realm. And first of all, the context of the verse, it's one verse. We've kind of touched upon that they're in distress and they're they're appealing and it they're making an appeal like you you have a great you have a great place you live. You have a transcendental abode. We had a good place that we lived too, <laughs> but we lost it because we offended our guru. But if you could help us get it back, we'd be most appreciative because everybody wants to live in a good place, even yourself. <laughs> Your place is the same nature. So they're making appeal to to be reinstated in their, you know, in their homes, uh, kind of bringing out the fact that, well, the Lord, you live in a, in a, in a most excellent residence. <laughs> So it can be seen in that way. They're pretty clever fellows. <laughs> and of course, God gets the point easily. Um, and it's interesting, to some extent, to read uh, the way the verse is composed by the demigods. And what they're talking about is the fact that the revelation of the Lord's residence is made available to the topmost Paramahansas. So we look to the whole presentation of the Vedas, which are the law books for human, humanity, and we do have the Varnashram system there, and in the Varnashram system we have, you know, uh, the divisions of... Uh, Humanity according to work and uh, and also uh, spiritual inclination and the topmost of all of those is the is the is the sannyas and the topmost of all the sannyasis is the paramahansa sannyasi so. Um, what the demigods are saying is that topmost personality who's dedicated himself absolutely to self-realization. He has, there's nothing, he has, he's not hedging his bets at all. He's not holding back anything. He's full on, I want the topmost realization available and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to to free myself from material existence. I'm willing to take on all of the 
everything that's prescribed uh, uh, to someone in human society, uh, I'm willing to take on those most severe, the most severe of, of lifestyles and uh, spiritual disciplines required to reach the topmost revelation. And what the demagogues are saying here is part of that revelation, part of being released from the mode of ignorance, is that the gates to a revelation of Krishna's transcendental abode open up in meditation. So they actually they actually perceive Krishna's transcendental abode uh, even in the self-same body that they have now. They, they have an inner life. Um, so that's something to be aware of in even in our fledgling spiritual practice that those kind of internal revelations will come as progress is made spiritually. Maybe not in this life, maybe not in the next, but it will come. There will come a time when all of this, where the transcendental nature of Krishna's abode will open up. And first, you'll you're going to be able to experience this. Is where Krishna. Wow, there's no need for sunlight. Everything's illuminated. There's no, you know. So everything that we hear about Vaikuntha is going to be directly experienced. And then you're going to see that it's it's not just a big bright light, you know, that you're going into. That it's actually it's everything that's here. But as we mentioned in the last discussion, it's it's fully it's the actual manifestation of these things, not the the dim reflection of what we experience in the material realm. So the second part of the verse, the demigods are saying, this attainment of a revelation of your residence is available to those topmost spiritualists who dedicate everything uh, to their spiritual revelation. That's all they want. Uh, and that's all we want, but it takes a while to unplug. It's, it doesn't happen overnight, you know. The mind still is attached to so many things. And... and uh, you know, so we continue to follow the process and have a good association and hear, and eventually we won't want to do anything except the hearing and the chanting and the and the and and just the. I mean, we do want to become a complete aesthetic. Is that the right pronunciation? You know, we do want to completely involve ourselves in in, in uh, spiritual trance. We do want to be locked up at night so that we don't, you know, 
create a disturbance in human society uh, because of uh, ecstatic emotion. I mean, imagine. You know, well, you better lock Bhakti Ross in her room tonight. She's overcome today. I can see. I can see it's coming. <laughs> She's going to be out there rolling in the mud with the cows and... <laughs> And she, she's going to be very happy doing it, you know, even though it's 30 degrees and she's, you know. So that kind of thing, the body will not even be an impediment at that point. Um, so it says here, uh, that dom will be realized and revealed and realized in the highest state of yogic trance in the self. So in the highest state of yogic trance. Now there's a lot of evidence in this Anucheta from various um, Upanishads and Smriti um, to substantiate the fact that and Jiva it goes to great lengths in, in establishing the fact that when you see certain statements in the Upanishads and in the Puranas, uh, where certain phrases are used, you cannot take those phrases because of the context that they're presented in and attribute them to the impersonal Brahman. And he goes to great lengths to do that. And we'll touch upon it, but again... Realizing the time and the and the cultural atmosphere of his presentation, we can see that this 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 impersonalistic um, approach to spirituality is still very very prevalent in that culture. If he has to spend this much time and energy to point out the proper reading of the Vedas and the Upanishads um, and, to, and to say you can't, you know, when you hear these phrases, you have to, you, you can't say that the primary meaning is attainment of the impersonal Brahman. You may look at that as a secondary meaning, but the primary meaning has to be the obvious meaning. And the obvious meaning is in the context of a personality, in this, is in the context of an abode. It can't mean the impersonal Brahman. So we'll kind of walk through some of this. And as I said, it's, it's a long anucheta. So Piper Lada Saka uh, of the Vedas states, uh, the reference is one of the Upanishads, I believe. That which is most sublime, subtle, and supreme, the eternal state of Sri Vishnu, is to be known. The people of this material world do not know it, the essence of all worlds. Only the wise who are fixed in yoga know it. So he's talking about those that have the qualification to recognize Vaikuntha. In another Shruti text, it is said, 
That abode into which the aesthetics enter is beyond heaven, yet it shines brilliantly within the pure heart. Uh, Nasringa Tafani Upanishad, the reciter of the um, sovereign Nasringa mantra, certainly attains that supreme transcendental abode beyond all miseries, where the sun, moon, and stars do not shine, the wind does not blow, and death does not enter. That abode is blissful, eternal, peaceful, always auspicious, worshipable by devas like Brahma, and meditated upon by yogis. It is devoid of all defects. The yogis who enter there never come back. That is stated in the Rig Veda mantras. The devotees always see that supreme abode of Sri Vishnu, which extends all around like sunlight in the sky. The Brahmanas, who always attentively glorify the Lord, render that abode even more brilliant. This is the supreme abode of Vishnu. Then some context of, of the Vaikuntha's and specifically Dhruvaloka, which is a Vaikuntha planet within the material realm. Uh, above and to the north of the seven sages, Saptarishi, or Orsa Major, is Dhruva, the pole star, wherein exists the abode of Sri Vishnu, which is the third planetary system from the earth, effulgent and transcendental. No, I can't explain the third <laughs> planetary system from the earth. But I'm sure there are Vedic astrologers that will fill you in. Didn't they just say something, Ursa Major? Mm-hmm. which is the, the, the constellation of the seven sages. O Brahmana, the self-controlled recluses who are purified of all defects attain that supreme place after their pious and sinful reactions have come to an end. When their karma in the form of sin and piety, which is the cause of unending births and deaths, is terminated, they attain that supreme abode of Sri Vishnu, which upon reaching all lamentation stops. This is an interesting thing here I found. Well, I didn't find it, I just read it was right there. <laughs> but you found it interesting. <laughs> that I did. <coughs> the witnesses of people's actions, such as Dharma and Dhruva, live in that supreme abode of Sri Vishnu, being endowed with a perfection called Sarsti, the Lord's own divine opulence, which is attained by, yogic, by yoga practice. O Maitreya, that which pervades crosswise and lengthwise all these universes of the past, present, and future, along with all the movable and immovable living beings they contain, know that to be the supreme abode of Sri Vishnu. So, the witnesses of all people's actions. 
it gives us some indication of the 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 cognizant nature of you know higher higher states of consciousness they you know that they're they're fully conscious of of uh, the actions of people of the world And how could they not be when the people of the world try to blow their place up and, you know, do the most foolish of things? Then there's a little discussion here by that Jiva Goswami pulls from various scriptures to make sure that there's no misunderstanding of a statement by Dhruva Maharaj. He goes to some lengths to, to, to make sure that Dhruva Maharaj's discontent is seen in the, in the proper light. So even after attaining, being given a planet, and attaining Vaikuntha and the association of the Supreme in that transcendental abode, um, one could think from Dhruva's statement, uh, and he says this in the fourth canto, Dhruva says, Alas, just see my lack of self-knowledge. I am so unfortunate that when I arrived at the lotus feet of the Lord, who ends one's material existence, I asked for something that comes to an end. Now he's lamenting the fact that when he, when he had an association with the Lord and when he was given a boon, uh, he was so foolish that his initial desire, this is, you know, what, he, what he'd gone to the forest for, what he'd performed severe austerities uh, to attain, uh, that was not a pure desire. And therefore, he, he holds himself in contempt that what... What a fool I was. What Jeeves points out here is he's not talking about the fact that what he received was anything less than perfection. In other words, you shouldn't look on the, this statement and think that Dhruva is talking about the fact that because people read in, we know people can read their own consciousness into things, that you shouldn't think that he's lamenting that he's also on Dhruva Loka, and that's not the topmost attainment, because it is. So that's not what he's talking about at all. Um, and then he goes, and he, Jiva goes, and he, provides evidence to the fact that Dhruva did attain the highest realm. 
my dear Druva, you will come to my place, which is venerated by all the worlds and situated beyond the planets of the Rishis. On going there, you will never return. That's from the fourth canto also. Well, people say, well, Dhruva Loka, you're saying it's a Vaikuntha planet, but it's within the material realm. So maybe Dhruva was right, because when the material universe is wrapped up, it's gone. The valid argument. The whole material universe is, is wrapped up, and where'd Dhruva Loka go? So, Jiva Goswami, Jiva Goswami goes on, and uh, it's brought out, therefore, during the annihilation cycle, when everything is wrapped up, only the external covering of this cosmically situated Vaikuntha becomes dissolved and the internal portion remains unmanifest. So yes, it is unmanifest, but it's not annihilated. Because he failed to distinguish between service appearance and underlying essence, even Haranyakasipu, who said, by the influence of time, ex except for Satya Loka, all other planets, such as Vishnu Loka, are destroyed at the end of Brahma's day. What purpose do I have to achieve from them? So even Haranyakasipu, now Haranyakasipu knew Vedic knowledge. I mean, he didn't, be, he didn't get that post, you know, uh, and he didn't perform all those sacrifices without some pretty deep understanding of Vedic knowledge. But he carried this misconception. He carried the misconception that the highest planet in the material universe was Satyaloka, Satyaloka being the planet of Lord Brahma, which is highest. But And he even looked at Vishnu Loka within the material realm as, as temporary. So even he had this misconception. We shouldn't have this misconception. I'll end with a little thing that uh, Shiva said in this regard. To Budar and Budar Anandini, Bundar Anandini, which is another name for Bumi. Huh? Oh, Boomdar Anandini, in this way I have explained to you the most excellent splendors of the material world. Now hear the magnificence of the transcendental world, in which there exists threefold dimensionality of being, Tripod Vibhuti. 
between the unmanifest primordial nature, Pradana, and the transcendental sky is the Vairaja River, which contains the pure flow of water from the perspiration of the Vedas personified. Beyond the river exists the transcendental sky, Paravyoma, which is unlimited and manifests threefold dimensionality of being. And then there's a little note here. This will be explained in detail in the Anuchata 78. Something to look forward to. Um, as immortality, fearlessness, and all auspiciousness. So that's Tripad Vibhuti. Three Vibhutis or opulences of Vaikuntha, of the transcendental spiritual realm. Immortality, eternity, fearlessness, and all auspiciousness. And uh, he goes on. Uh, it has no beginning or end, and nothing is equal or superior to it. It is auspicious, wonderfully brilliant, eternal, and an ocean of bliss. This place, the reservoir of all such qualities, is called the supreme abode of Sri Vishnu. And who's speaking that to the... Lord Shiva. Oh, Lord Shiva. Um, while citing various statements from the Shruti, narrates the glories of Vaikuntha. And this Anucheta, we're still with, we're not even to the commentary of the Anucheta, we're just in the Anucheta. And Jiva's going to go on to quote um, other great personalities and Upanishads um, that give explanation of that transcendental realm all culminating at the end of the Anucheta in an explanation by Jiva Goswami of how these different terms that are in all these verses, all these texts, you know, uh, the Pada of the Lord, the, the Loka, they cannot be looked at in an impersonal way. So then he goes through and he he makes uh, he goes to some length uh, to bring out that point that all these terms cannot because of the context in which the descriptions are given and the fact that all the descriptions themselves say nothing about the all-pervasiveness of the spirituality of Brahman. Any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you, Dora.